Hey, dude. Hello, welcome to today's, this week's episode of um, Juice in the Big Screen, your movies and reviews podcast. I host Joshua Tracy. I'm Corwin Heller. And we are talking today about the 1953 film The Wages of Fear and the 2011 film Tinker, Taylor, Soldiers, by uh, Corwin, where would you like to start today? I watched Wages of Fear this morning, so let's watch that. Or let's talk about that. Let's do both. Uh, this podcast episode will be nine hours long. Um, all right. The Wages of Fear from 1953 was directed by Henri Georges Clouseau. Um, it was based on the novel by uh, Georges Arnaud, um, and it was uh, adapted for the screen by the director Henri Georges Clouseau, who was starring. Um, Yves Montand, uh, Charles Vanell, and Peter Van Eyck. I'm not getting too Frenchy with any of these names because it's just going to sound bad either way. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce these names. I don't have an estimated budget. I have a cumulative worldwide gross of $1,100, which just doesn't... I mean, you know, movie, movies used to cost like... $1,100. And it's like, look, you know, movies used to cost like 10 cents a movie. So I I, I get there was a difference there. But at the same time, this is $1,100. is just not a lot of dollars. Um, it, no. uh, I guess it's also a foreign film. So I, in the movie there. makes more than that. In the movie. I, I guess it's also because it's just a foreign flick and maybe there's just not enough Frenchmen to make up the difference. I have no fucking clue. Um, anyway, uh, so I have I have no budget. It, uh, apparently only made $1,100. Um, it, its tagline is awful. Oh, my God. Um, suspense. Close to prostrating? One of the greatest shockers of all time. The fuck does prostrating mean? Um, lying on the ground. Yeah, yes. Being extremely weak or subservient. Yeah. Oh, that is a bizarre choice for a, a tagline. Um, yeah. Hate it. Hate that. Um, hate you. Thanks, buddy. You're welcome. It has it. It won one BAFTA film. Um, it has no other major awards uh, nominations nor wins. The the BAFTA that it won was for best film from any source um, from France. Uh, so I guess source being foreign film category, essentially. Uh, the plot is about um, in a decrepit South American village, four men are hired to transport an urgent nitroglycerin shipment without the equipment that would make it safe. Um, this was my pick. So I guess I'll get us started. Um, so what's funny is that every time I watch this movie, I am reminded about how long the beginning part is before they get into what some might call the plot of the movie. Um, because I love this movie because I think that the, the, again, actual meat and bones of the film where they're traversing the treacherous path from the village that they're in to the site at which the um, Southern Oil Company, <clears throat> the evil capitalist in this film, um, where they're actually dredging up the oil. I find that part to be absolutely captivating, and that final, the final two scenes of the film to be a beautiful bookend. Um, uh, that is, it perfectly encapsulates how much risk there is involved in them doing this, how necessary it felt for them to have been doing it, how little anybody fucking cared about them doing it um and um really just the great i guess um the power of poverty really and how how much joy from how little money they were really given to do this at the end and how uh tragically quickly it all ended um but we'll get we'll get there but at the same time i constantly forget how much filler there is at the beginning of this movie that truly doesn't matter. Um, I still love this film. I am looking forward to talking about it. Um, but I also, uh, eesh, that beginning it took a long time. Um, 
But yeah, so I want to save more of the discussion for as we, you know, move through the actual plot of the film. So I'll just turn it over to you, Corwin, to to give me uh, your thoughts on the wages of fear before we get into it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that the entire beginning section of that movie almost feels pointless. Almost, like I guess, yeah. Like I get there is some character development there and provides a, a decent backstory into what that town is like and what it's like living there, but. You could start this film basically with Joe showing up in that taxi, and that is the entirety of the movie that you need to see. There's really nothing added. Like, I thought there would be more usage of the characters by the end, you know, the ones that we see highlighted. Um, the woman, I forget her name, uh, you know, the the barkeep almost. Or um, You can ignore that message. We're good. Okay. Basically, I thought there would be more added and at the end that would kind of make that beginning section worth it. There wasn't, and so I almost essentially forgot about it to begin with, you know, that, that entire introductory first act. Um, but basically casting that aside, and you have a, a very excellent film um, with some intense, intense tension. Uh, I was trying to think of the word, but I kept saying intense. Um, and, uh, honestly, really great by the end. Like it, it was something where it was surprising me how good it got because the, the first act really lowered expectations. Yes. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. Like the, the tone and the, uh, the, the message of how impactful and how desperate you can get just to escape poverty and escape just financial ruin and just when you are living in a society essentially where there is no hope no prospect of having any hope and then all of a sudden a golden egg just kind of falls within your grasp you're willing to do almost whatever it takes to reach it and to escape that that trap and man it's a, it's a brutal ending that you really have to appreciate just because of of the message it sends um, but in all, excellent film. Oh, it's, yeah. So, you know what? Let, let's get into it. And l let me sum up for everybody who hasn't seen the film and who's just along for the ride what the beginning amounts to. Um, there is a town full of, what do they call them? Uh, not tramps. They call What do they call them? Um, actually, do they call them tramps? Doesn't matter. A, a town full of broke people all looking to get jobs in, like, rural South America. Um, that's really it. And the idea, I, I think, and this is a phenomenon Corbin and I have talked about several times, I, I, I would imagine that this is there because there is women in this part of the beginning, and uh, they wanted to show you that this guy that you're about to spend another hour and a half with after this whole beginning nonsense is a real ladies' man and super cool um, to help you relate to him. However, it is not interesting. Um, especially when you get into the actual plot of the film, which is the the car ride that, um, uh, what are their names, Mario and Joe end up actually taking. Um, none of this come. It doesn't come back to any of this. It, like it doesn't. It genuinely doesn't matter. Um, and while you know you can go along with this little like a uh, honky tonk kind of, uh, um, I don't know old west feeling town and and you know it'll give you a certain feeling i guess um it doesn't end up really doing much because there's no stakes they never establish why it's important and they never establish why it's important because it's just not important um <laughs> and after a certain period of time i'm sure you felt this too you just sit there and wonder like all right well when are we getting into the movie um, and it takes a long time. And this is a two and a half hour long movie. They mm. could have very reasonably cut all of that. But they could have genuinely cut out the first 30 minutes of this movie. And not have missed a beat. It's ridiculous how drawn out this movie ended up being. There's no point to it. No. But we already talked about that. So... The actual plot of this movie is that there is um, the the Southern Oil Company, which is operated by the Americans, which I think is a, is a nice touch. Um, 
is experiencing an an uh, a fire. Uh, one of the one of the wells or whatever it is they're called uh, is uh, caught fire, and the only way to stop it from burning out is to uh, blow up the hole with nitroglycerin to smother it. However, exactly how it goes in real life. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally true to life. It sounds ridiculous, but it's actually true. Um, so because this is my major, or was my major in college, and I don't ever get to use it in reality, I'm going to take buddy. the time to actually use it. Basically, you set off a giant explosion, which sucks up all the oxygen in the surrounding area to fuel the explosion. And in doing so, it basically forces the flame and the burning oil shooting up out of this uh, oil derrick to extinguish itself, and without any other uh, ignition source, it won't restart. There you go. It's so fascinating. The best way to put out a fire is with an explosion. And there goes the phrase, can't fight fire with fire, because that guy was wrong. (laughs) You're goddamn right he was. (laughs) I just imagine the first time they saw an oil derrick go up in flames, and they were like... All right, we'll we'll put a cap on it. We'll put a cork in it. Like we'll do this, and some guys just like standing there with a stick of dynamite in his hand. Like, I got this. And it, it's like Trump saying, uh, "Oh man, a hurricane! Let's throw nukes at it." He might have been right. We'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck Iowa or whatever. Let's oh just throw God. some fucking nukes at it. Imagine how fucking quickly this country would have just imploded if that worked. Oh if my that god! Worked, he just had free reign to do whatever crazy shit came to his mind after that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I mean, he already did, but whatever. This isn't that podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, they need to get the nitroglycerin to the site. The problem is, is that um, it would take like a while to set up because nitroglycerin is is a very unstable. Um, I don't know what you call it. It's not a chemical compound, I guess. Um, not sure. Anyway, and uh, it it is combustible. It will, it will explode. And the only way to get there is through this very treacherous uh, path. And they have no real equipment to make it safe. So what they end up doing is taking advantage of the poor, a national pastime of the U S by offering four dudes between two vehicles. um, I forget how much $2,000 U S per person to drive this highly unstable chemical (laughs) across a very dangerous path over to their oil field so that they can stop losing money is essentially what that is. Um, and they find four guys, they load up two trucks and they get on the road. And that part is the actual plot of the movie. Hmm. I'm reading about the chemical properties of nitroglycerin now because I'm intrigued. I don't know much about it. Uh, how, uh, by the way, how much do you love the fact that the uh, the the bad head of the this part of the um, Southern Oil Company's name was Bill O'Brien? Ooh, I did not notice that actually. Yeah, yeah the uh, the 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 mean guy who who runs this part of the SOC is named Bill O'Brien. All right, I love that a lot. Yeah, he 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 takes advantage of the poor and then goes on to uh, ruin Deshaun Watson's career. That's the uh, that's the epilogue to this film. Um, so anyway, the what what then unfolds throughout the film is the 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 drivers coming along increasingly, um, like like different traps basically um, set out by either nature when it comes to this like one oil patch. Um, I guess it's not even nature; it was a burst pipe, um, and uh, poor construction leading to some very difficult navigation. Um, it was actually all tr- Macaulay Culkin, and he was trying to. Say? It was actually all Macaulay Culkin, and he was just trying to prevent these guys from uh, breaking into his house. <laughs> nice, yeah. I, uh, all right, I can I can dig that. This is this is the prequel to to Home Alone. Mm-hmm. That's how the McAllisters made so much money. Yeah, there you go. It's it's all it's all uh, broke Hispanic money. Oh my god. Um. Anyway, they they end up uh, losing one of the trucks along the way, or one of the uh, two of the drivers along the way, I should say, as a result of um, their truck exploding. Um, 
And I just want to add, I fucking love that they don't explain why. They don't give us any insight. It just happens, and you're left with the same shock they are. I love that. Yeah, and that's what this film did really well. None of what they had to go through was repetitive. It was all different. And it all like played off of real fears that you would have. There's a fear of heights element to this. There's a fear of drowning element to this. And there's a fear of random acts of destruction in this that is them exploding for no reason other than nitroglycerin is very unstable. And that could happen to both trucks at any time. Yeah. I mean, nitroglycerin, the way that they were driving on those back roads, they didn't need to hit a major pothole. They didn't need to do anything spectacular. It literally could have just been as simple as breaking too hard or just hitting a, a bump, or it just going off on its own in that kind of heat. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. and those those fucking, like, rocks and shit that were, like, lining the road and sticks mm-hmm. and branches, like, all... The, yeah, there was... They didn't need to have some big dramatic moment, like you said, like, like hitting a big pothole. It, yeah, I mean, it's powerful how random that was. Absolutely. And... Do you have a particular um, obstacle that they that like had to traverse that stuck out that stuck out to you, or or particularly um, outside of the uh, the the um, one truck explosion? Yeah, the uh, the rock that they had to destroy. Oh my god! The idea of using the explosives is like the natural. Like, yeah, obviously we have this. This is how it should be done. Just free pouring it essentially down a, a a straw almost into a into a the stone itself into the crevice of the rock, fucking terrifying. Oh my god! The yeah, the fuse setup that they had was insanity. But again, yeah, okay. Um, just the fact that they had it set up so the fuse wasn't igniting the nitroglycerin itself. It was basically releasing a hammer to drop into it to set it off, which was fantastic because it's a contact explosive. It's not a whatever. The fact that Luigi was like, oh, there's a fuse setting off a giant explosion. And we're now just worried about one small detail about like rocks falling on the trucks. Okay. I'm just going to go put it out. And everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing? No, why would you do that? And he's just like, I'm out of here, guys. It's the safest thing to do. And it's like, what the fuck? (laughs) He honestly deserved to die there. Like, if he died, I don't think I would have felt bad. No. I would have just been like, motherfucker, you're dumb enough to do that? Okay, you deserve it. Yeah, that that, that moment was just like, uh, (laughs) that moment was like, yeah, bitch, I hope you get it exploded. (laughs) It's unreal. Unreal. I um I think for me it's it's um I mean they're they're all they're all special in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um but the one that really gets me is the the oil pit that they ha- that um uh Joe and Mario have to drive through. Um especially the moment where he slowly drives the car over Joe's leg. Oh my god. Yeah. Especially cuz there was like really kind of nothing either of them could do about it. Yeah, it it's one of those few situations in movies where you're sitting there watching it happen and you are seeing the horrible nature of having to do it. And it's like, how could you run over a friend? Even if you're not terribly close, how could you do that to someone? And then having to sit there and be like, I genuinely understand that I would have to do the same thing. Like there's no choice. Like you're either stuck there forever or you run over the guy's legs and hopefully you can get out in time. And yeah. you just gotta do it. Oh, that must be horrific. horrific. And, and and it's absolutely brutal because every time they go through one of these things, you know, every time they encounter one of these um, obstacles set for them to traverse in order to reach their ultimate destination, you know, it's it's different from like a, like like when Indiana Jones is navigating the Temple of Doom or whatever. No, that's the second one. Whatever that fucking temple is at at the end of um um the third one when he's trying to get to the Holy Grail. 
no, Holy Grail, whatever that last one is. Um, um, he's he, he he's working his way through it because the ultimate goal is I have to find the Grail to save my dad. You know, um, like these these Nazis be damned. I'm doing this to save uh, my father. These guys are doing it for money and not even in a greedy, selfish way where they're doing it like Gordon Gecko bankrupting a company just for the sport of it. They're doing it because they are so poor, so destitute, that their only real option is to do this. And it's yeah. brutal. Mm -hmm. And again, like forcing the viewer to watch, understand, and agree that it has to be done is terrifying and beautifully made. I, I know. Oh, actually, so how much do you think that uh that two thousand dollars is worth in uh, twenty nineteen? Uh, I looked it up, so I I know. Ooh, so what number did you come up with? I came up with uh eighteen nineteen thousand dollars. Yeah, I got just over nineteen thousand. Uh, I got just under. I put in I put in fifty five. I thought it came out in fifty five, not fifty three. So I have it in fifty. Yeah, fifty three. Okay. So that could explain part of the difference there. Um but again, twenty grand for that. They were talking about like leaving, going out to the States, buying a house, being set for life, and it's like oh my god, twenty grand is granted yeah. I know it's a different era, but at the it's same time it's like that that's not enough. Like that's so not enough. No. And and It'll that's, get and that's out of their town, which I'm sure is all they care about, but it will not set you up for life. No, I, I I mean that literally doesn't put you above the poverty line. And in regards to how cheap homes cost, like that is factored into inflation. So like, good fucking luck. Um, they, like yeah, it'll maybe it'll get you to the states where you can find about a job. But I mean, we're talking about what is a large sum of money to receive all at once, not a large sum of money for you to rely on for a, a long period of time. Um, yeah, no, 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 no one would risk this for a job that paid you like 18 grand annually. Um, right. Anyway. Not oh, much. capitalism. You fickle mistress. Yeah, you big booty bitch. So, after the, the leg running over situation, um, and this is now post-truck A explosion, post-Joe's um, leg getting fucked, um, the Mario puts Joe back in the truck and they, they drive to the, the, the site. Um, and everyone's like, Oh my God, they made it. They made it. These crazy motherfuckers made it. Um, let's go get that nitroglycerin and blow this son of a bitch up. And it's a, it's a really amazing shot. Um, that whole scene feels otherworldly because this is a black and white film. Um, so the night times look like, pitch fucking black because it's indecipherable really the difference between the black of the of the sky and the black of uh if there's any fucking shrubbery or trees around and, and just the uh, you know the black of the dirt and then the only real source of light that seems to be being used is an actual on fire uh oil well and um it is dramatic as shit everyone's fucking dirty as hell Joe is in the truck dead. It is, and everyone's kind of running around a little bit because this shit's still fucking on fire. Um, and they just got the help that they need or the resource that they need. And it's a really wild, um, kind of looking thing that I always forget isn't the final scene. Mm -hmm. Cause it feels like that's where a different movie would end. Right. With, you know, Mario being the hero, getting praised by all the other workers, getting paid, and then the movie rolling credits. Um, but just real, I I just love the the, the sheer cinematography of that one scene because it is such an interesting visual. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I don't think I ever expected to see it when I first watched this. I figured you just like drop the truck off, and I'm not sure we'd ever really see the fire because it feels like a hell of an effect for the time, you know. It is until you realize, oh, they probably literally just made this fire and just had it going, and uh, no questions asked. 
And I totally believe that. Oh, absolutely. Like, um, I, I totally believe that they probably bought an oil derrick that was, you know, near the end of its life or, you know, uh, a well that was ready to be capped. And they were just like, yeah, can we just film this being on fire for a while while you guys do this? Yeah, okay, sure. Go right ahead. Well, so the running theory is is that um, chances are this film was, was, was filmed in Venezuela because Venezuela has a fuck ton of oil. Um, and this would make, this would make sense that, uh, or sorry, that it's not, that was filmed would take place in Venezuela, a place where, um, it's broke as shit, has a lot of oil. And we're honestly, the, the, the filming could have taken place because, uh, they, there's a, they, they there's a lot of oil there. <laughs> I just light it up for fucking fun. Yeah. And I, you know what, knowing guys who are in that industry, I mean, guarantee you they came out and were like, oh, wait, you want to film us setting this on fire? Yeah, let's fucking do it. Let's go. And that would have been that. I they would have been all about it. No, please. Back in the day, there were, there were no special effects. There was only practical effects. Um. Oh, actually, no, this was shot in the south of France. Interesting. Not anyway, a lot of oil in the south of France, but hey, who am I to say? Who am I to say? So, the the film then cuts to uh, the next morning with Mario um, having been paid and is driving back to town very cheerfully. He's zigzagging all over the road. He's how ha- he's enjoying the trip. He's got the radio on. He's straight chilling. Um, just kind of bobbing and weaving, enjoying the, the the much more leisurely stroll than what he just had, which is a very rigid, carefully um, orchestrated drive there. And um, as he's descending the side of a hill or a mountain, uh, he just loses control of the car. It speeds up too much. The turn was too sharp. Something happens. And he goes careening down the side of this cliff the car getting smashed to absolute bits um, with uh, him dying on the, at the base of the mountain. And that's how the movie ends. Oh, the fin just over his lifeless eyes, right as he, like right after he goes careening over, it's just like, you know, immediate. It's like, okay, that's it. It's over. He had it coming, and and that's it. There's nothing left, and it's just like the fin is just kind of like a fuck you right at the end. And boy, do I love that fuck you. Now, I was thinking about why it ends with that um, a little bit today, and I was wondering if you had any reason in particular you think it ends with that because I I have one I wanted to float by you. Uh, just to rub it in. No, it's just I was thinking about it. I don't like to share what I'm thinking about with you. You can nothing. What was that? What? I would no. I just, I just, I just had a a thing I was thinking about. Just wanted to share my thinkings with you. And then share. I and again, this could very, very reasonably be a case of Josh reading too far into things. I, I would think that's there. Because if Mario ended off right. You know, if he ended off getting back to town, scooping up the girl and going to the States, there would be an argument that capitalism made his life better. And I think the movie didn't want that. I think he dies hmm. to show that even though he got paid, um, it didn't fix his life's problems and that the money ultimately didn't matter because he still died anyway. I usually hate when you read too much into things because it's annoying. Uh, I think you're on the nail. You hit the nail on the head here. I think you're absolutely right. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I... Because don't get me wrong, like, even in a vacuum, him dying and just having that be a dramatic thing that happens in the movie is still totally effective. Um, Like, you still absolutely feel it. But, like, the anti-capitalist nature of this film or messaging of this film is so forceful. I think I'd have to imagine that that is like, you know, that true underlying message here, which is like it, 
if you die before you get paid or after you get paid, you still died as a result of this trip. And mm-hmm. that did not change. Yeah. Oof. Capitalism. Capitalism. One hell of a drug. Um, man, just looking over my notes, the explosion and how they go over the explosion of that first van or that first truck. Incredible work, too. Just the tobacco flying out from that first initial blast wave. The hearing it a split second later. And then looking up and seeing the explosion. Oh, my God. The only thing I will say, the flash comes after the shockwave, which wouldn't make any sense. Hmm. It would actually be a second before it, but at the same time, I don't complain. No, no, especially considering the fact that they got all so many other minor details so on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on, you have any ideas about what could have caused it or what would have caused it in this case? Uh, you know, it, it really could just be something as simple as, huh, maybe, maybe it's the, um, that one jar of nitroglycerin that, um, Luigi took out. Maybe it wasn't put back properly. I really don't know. Look, I want to say it was something super minuscule and just super unrelated to anything. I just... I want to say that there's something, some hint that gave it away, whether it be the oil pipe or the cigarette holder that he picks up off the ground, but... I don't know what any of the other actual causes would be. I don't know. And and like like we said earlier, I, I think the not knowing is what makes it so especially powerful. Yeah. Um anything Sorry, else? Um but yeah, I completely agree. It's like the Tarantino briefcase from Pulp Fiction. Like you wanna know so bad and that's what makes it exciting. As soon as you find out definitively, it's over. Right. Yeah, it's not the same. Do you have any other notes, or should we get into final ratings and review and move on to uh, to the second film? Uh, let me just double-check my notes. Uh, yeah, no, I'm good. All right, uh, so this is my movie. I'll start. Um, this is actually, this, this is also one of like, the first foreign films that I like found on my own and like gave a shot to and watched, so this, this holds a special little place in my heart. Um, and I, again, the filmmaking for the, the, the final two thirds of this film are so fucking good, but oh my God, is that first like half hour, 45 minutes, just unfucking bearable, especially when you watch it over again and you go back for the second, third viewing, because you know that none of it matters. Right. (laughs) You know, I'm sure you seeing this for the first time, Corwin, like we're just waiting for when the plot would start. I'm uh-huh. watching this like, oh my god, please just fucking let this end. None of this matters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a four out of five. Um, I I don't want that to deter anybody or or keep anyone from thinking that I think highly of this film because I think so highly of this film. Um, mm-hmm. I might, but I would reserve I reserve my four point five out of fives for movies that I can't find a fault with, but don't have the emotional feel to bump up to five and this i have an actual gripe with so i'm going to just take off that little half a star right there and go with the four out of five um because outside of that part i have zero other complaints about this i think it's so well done um so i'm going to lock it in there at four out of five and honestly i agree 100 percent with both the rating and the reasoning it is a near perfect film outside of that first like what felt like 45 minutes of just pure nothingness. And it's just, it's too long of a movie to forgive having such a useless act in the film. Yep. Fully agree. So four out of five. Like I turned it on and in my mind, it's like a two hour long movie. And I turned it on and it was said two and a half hours on the screen. 
And I was like, you got to be shitting me. Are you serious? And then I started watching it. And I was like, oh, that's right. This part goes on forever. Uh, uh. Anyway, let's move it on. Let's keep it going. Uh, next up, we've got the 2011 film Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. Um, it is annoying that IMDb doesn't include the commas in the title, but whatever. Um, it was directed by uh, Thomas. Title? I thought there were. Are there not? Oh, you know what? There's not on the poster. There was. I thought it was just four words. I thought it was commas because they refer to Pete. We'll get there. Um, it was directed by Thomas oh, Alfredson. Don't spoil it, Josh. I haven't I seen know. it yet. I know. It's a brand new flick. It just came out nine years ago. Um, <laughs> um, directed by Thomas Alfredson. It was, um, it's based on a novel by uh, John Le Carré. Uh, screenplay by Bridget O'Connor and Peter Strawn. Um, it stars Gary Oldman, Colin Firth, and Tom Hardy, and like every British actor you would expect to see in any given film. Um, oh so if you're God. expecting John Hurt, he's in it. Were you expecting Benedict Cumberbatch? He's in it too. Um, everyone who's British is in this movie. Um, this is a this is a very British affair. It was insane it, watching this for the first time, not knowing anything about it, and just being like, okay, he's in it. I imagine. Oh, yep, there he is. Okay. Oh, gang's all here. <laughs> yep. Right. I, are they going to go get tea after this? This is this is like a regular gang of British folk doing what they all showed up because they just like hang out together anyway. This is a documentary. Um, its estimated budget was twenty million pounds, um, with a cumulative worldwide gross of eighty-one million dollars. And I don't feel like doing that conversion, but that sounds like a success to me. Um. Because I really don't feel like digging back to 2011 and finding out what that conversion rate was. <laughs> anyway, uh, its Not tagline right. is, At the height of the Cold War, only a master spy could be trusted to expose one of their own. See, that's just a movie. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't get that at all. Um, it was nominated for three Oscars, didn't yield any wins. It was nominated for... Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role for Gary Oldman, Best Writing Adapted Screenplay for Bridget O'Connor, and Peter Strawn, and Best Achievement in Music Written for Motion Pictures, Original Score for Alberto Iglesias. Um, it is about, um, in the bleak days of the Cold War, espionage veteran George Smiley is forced from semi-retirement to uncover a Soviet agent within MI6. Corwin, this was your pick. Tell me your thoughts on Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. So I knew a spy movie, and I knew Gary Oldman was in it and was very good in it. That's the only thing I knew going in, um, which for the first time I'm upset about because immediately, like two minutes into this movie, it is so unbelievably clear that this is a adaptation off of a novel and that you are going to be left very confused if you had read said novel um i know i always sit on here and talk about how much i appreciate being shown not told um or at least preferring that if it's oh my god for what i can only presume is a thousand page novel like this to adapt it to a sub two hour movie you kind of need to include some other information like who these people are, or who they work for, or what they do. And really, none of it is ever explained, and it's just, it all has to be inferred, which is fine if it wasn't for the fact that there were, excuse me, like 30 different characters. If it was just five of them, you could probably figure it out. You could probably figure out some relationships, sure. Too many people, man. And I just felt like it, I feel like I, this conversation could be saved for after we both have our intros, but whatever. I just feel like you lose out in so on so much between all of these different characters and all of these different relationships and all of this history by, you know, making this into a film rather than have it be a, a full limited series or a series of films or just keeping it as a book. Um, that being said, Technically speaking, I really enjoyed the film. Very well shot. Uh, very, very well acted. Uh, I imagine the book was very well written, but the movie itself was kind of like, meh. Um, but 
I enjoyed it. I definitely did not love it. And I would recommend it after reading the book. I don't know if I'd recommend going into this, into this film blind. Uh, I certainly resonate with that. Um, so I saw this when it came out. Because um, this was right around, this came out in 2011 and was nominated in the 2012 Oscars. So this was right around when I first started trying to watch like all the Best Picture nominees before the Oscars. And I remember, I remember very distinctly watching this and having not a fucking clue what the fuck happened by the end of it. Um, all I knew was that Colin Firth was the bad guy the whole time, um, and I didn't really know how we got there, um, and I I didn't really know what had happened outside of that, um, and that that was it. That's, like, that's all I fucking got. Um, and upon watching the second time, yeah, same same reaction. I still have no fucking clue. And and you know, if I didn't get it, and if Corwin didn't get it, I'm sure people got it, but I'm sure that some that that's not the majority of people because Corwin and I. I think are both good audiences and good audiences in different ways that we probably capture a good number of the people watching movies. This, like, like Corbin said, this is tough without the exposition that a book brings and without the going back ability that you have when reading a book to remind yourself of who that character is and how they got here. This is a movie that is meant to either have significant quantities of exposition or Many, many parts, like Corbin said, uh, a limited series of some kind, like HBO. Um, just jump you here. Yeah, yeah. With how much Gary Oldman and Benedict Cumberbatch and uh, Bartholomew Cumberbund just stand and look around at things and just notice things and observe things without any insight to what they're seeing, to what they're looking at, or what they're thinking and what they're discovering as they're doing this. You're just like watching the screen, like, okay, what? What is it? Are you gonna tell me now, or do I have to wait till the end of the movie to find out? And sometimes you got to wait till the end of the movie, and sometimes you're just left questioning your reality. <laughs> All right, do I have to rewind and like pick apart everything that was included in the, like every prop and detail in this to figure out what the fuck we're looking at? Oh my god, it just drove me insane. I know. And one of the other things about movies like this where it's like picking up on subtlety is that it's tough to have subtlety or to understand subtlety if you're not given a context for what's different. If I don't understand what is unique about the situation that is unfolding to me that someone like Gary Oldman or Benedict Cumberbatch would because of their prior experience with that area, with the, with the habits, with whatever, I'm never going to yeah. fucking get it. I can't pick it apart. I could watch this scene 9,000 times if I don't understand what is different or unusual in the way that you would get details written on a page in a book. I'm never going to figure it out. Like, if, 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 and I'm not to say, I'm not trying to say they gave tells that Colin Firth was the bad guy the whole time, but like, let's say Colin Firth, I don't know, usually had his coffee black and came in one day with, with coffee with creamer. Uh, and, and somehow that tied back to being um, uh, some type of sign or some shit. The point being, a level of a, a detail that changed that you would get because it was written down, but that you're not going to get if someone doesn't point it the fuck out to you in a movie. Because if you don't know what happened prior, you're not going to know what to look for that's different. Imagine one of those spot the 12 differences pages that you see in like Highlights Magazine at the doctor's office, but with only one page. You're never going to get it. Um, <laughs> so I agree. Though wholeheartedly, as a piece of filmmaking, this is really well done. The acting's great. I found the composition of shots to be great. I thought the set design also was phenomenal. I love that like contained room that they're in with the orange styrofoam um, sound absorbers. Mm -hmm. I thought that was such a cool spot. Like, and they had a bunch of like different splashes of like you know Cold War era colors and um, and design that I thought was super fun and super interesting. Um, it's it. This movie felt longer than Wages of Fear and is a half an hour shorter. Yeah, like yeah. Oh my god, and and it, and it's frustrating because for one thing, it's frustrating to not understand anything. Anytime you're watching a movie and you're confused by what's happening, that is a frustrating feeling. But it's also frustrating because it like moves so quickly and so slow at the same time. Mm -hmm. I, the scenes you're in take. For, like just take forever 
but it jumps through and makes progress between those scenes at such a pace you can't follow along unless you are very in tune with what their goal is and what they're trying to do and like the little things that go on during the scene that cause it to continue. And again, that just goes back to if this was a book or if you had read the book beforehand, it would be incredibly easy to follow along. But if you're going in blind, you're fucking lost the whole time. <laughs> and and dude, I'm 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 still lost. <laughs> like uh, like I've seen this movie twice. I'm still fucking Actually, I think I've seen this movie 3 times. I think I tried watching it again when I was in college and failed. <laughs> like oh. And you know, it 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 sucks that like you and I can sit here and recognize that this was well made and recognize that this is probably a movie that we should have liked. But the plot is so prohibitive. Mhm. And that's the thing is I have almost no notes on this movie because I kept being afraid of looking away so that I yeah. would, wouldn't miss something and then would have to be in a constant state of pausing and rewinding, which is not how you should watch a movie. Right. Granted, you also probably shouldn't watch a movie while taking notes, but at the same time, whatever. Yeah. Um, I have a few. I'll just go through them. Yeah, let's hear them. Uh, the first one. That first scene when they're in Hungary, it's not the first scene, but early on when Mark Strong's character is in Hungary, he's there for the hit and he gets up to leave once he notices that, okay, all of these people are clearly, you know, planted. This is clearly not the normal situation. This is clearly a setup. I'm getting out of here. The barber fires the first shot, hits the woman. We don't see it yet. And Mark Strong's character just kind of stands there. And it's yeah. just like, ah, uh, yes. Now I will prepare to die. Ah, uh, oh, there's the second shot. Ah, uh, dead. Or so you thought. But it's just like, you don't hear shots coming at you and think, run, serpentine, take cover, fire back, anything. Just like, okay, he missed. That's not fair to him. I'll let him have his second shot before I continue. That was just kind of was like, oh, this is ridiculous. Fucking bizarre point. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I, 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 I get, I guess to some extent, a certain sense of paralysis, but he stood there for so fucking long. Like, yeah. he was li- like, like a stage performance where like, like the, you're just waiting for, for the other bullet to, to, to be quote unquote fired before you, you know, take your dive. It was mm-hmm. perplexing how long he just stood there waiting to get shot with no other reaction. Mm-hmm. Insanity. Um, my next one, I called Colin for from the start. Like when Control or whoever it was is having that conversation, like it's one of these five guys, one of them's the mole, and like they cut between each guy. I was immediately like, all right, it's going to be Colin Firth. He's the only one there that's like super happy and jolly and like playing it off like it's nothing. It's like, yep, that's a clear tell. It's definitely going to be him. And it was. And I was like, yes. I actually thought it was all five of them at once because they were all giving that information. Apparently it wasn't, and they just didn't know it. And it was only Colin Firth that was the mole. Whatever. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, uh, Colin Firth's especially cheery disposition is the one thing that I will say, the one, I guess you could call it, bit of subtlety that is jarring because of how muted everybody else is for the vast majority of the scenes uh-huh. that they're in. Um, everyone is, and it's tough to tell if that's a British thing or if that's a serious nature of the situation at hand thing or like whatever, but everyone else is by and large far more muted than Colin Firth is. He is like, hey, how you doing, guys? And it's like, oh, yeah. shut the fuck up. Um, but, yes. Nice. Way to go, Corwin. Thanks. I'm a genius. Yeah, I guess so. Any of the notes? How does it feel to be the second most intelligent film watcher here? Um, I don't know, Corwin. Tell me how it feels. Yeah, I feel pretty normal. Yeah, that's fair. Um, that's the thing. Like, this movie is all plot. So I have like really nothing else to say because the plot is so convoluted and I feel 
bad that I don't have anything else to say. But again, this movie is all plot, and the plot is tough to get into because it's so much twisting and turning about it. Yes, very much agree. Um, what are your you thoughts? Think... Go ahead. Sorry. sorry go ahead. No, 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 you go. I was just going to say, if you thought there was any true character development that took place in this film, you know, anything that was outside of just plot. Ooh. Um, I'm not sure there is. Maybe Tom Hardy, if you include the flashback version of himself. But then again, not really. Maybe Benedict Cumberbatch, because he, he realizes, you know, there's more layers to this than what have you. But like Smiley doesn't grow as a person. None of the big five grow as people. Like, nope. yeah, like at the end, like they're all embarrassed. Oh, like we fucked up, but like they don't take that to heart. Nope. All right, what were what were you gonna say? Uh, what do you think of the ending, specifically? Mark Strong's character coming back and killing Colin Firth and then Gary Oldman and Bombaduke uh, Cumberbill just going back to work and acting like nothing happened. Sure. Just sure? <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. It, For me, I mean, it, it's of, it felt like too cheery of an ending. Like the music that they used just didn't feel like it met the tone well, and just kind of threw me out of it. I I think I don't care because I don't have a reason to care. It felt like it felt like they needed a thing because the rest of this film leading up to that moment is very, in a lot of ways, procedural. You know, mm-hmm. not so much in like in a courtroom or in the office, but like we are trying to find clues and string them together in a logical fashion. And that was a very stark moment of emotion. You know, with with um, oh, what's his fucking name? Uh, uh, who who killed? Um, Mark Strong. Mark Strong killed um fucking Colin Firth, oh, right? Yeah. Um, Jesus, me with names today. Um, and it's like I I understand rationally how you are there emotionally based on you know the greater surroundings that is the Cold War. Um, you know, the consequences of these people's actions, all that, you know, the, the, the passion it must take to be working in the field that you're working with and to experience that level of betrayal, I understand. And also, I don't care. Um, and this movie, like you said, just kind of moves on <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's not really rooted in an emotional place. There weren't ever given emotional stakes for finding out who did this. It was really just like, hey, it is our job to find out who did this. We will now go find out who did this. Who is the mole? We will find out the mole. We found the mole. I'm going to kill him. We have now killed the mole and we are moving on with the day. And like, oh, oh, okay, I get it. I understand. I don't care. Yeah, I get that because I very much agree that I kind of just don't get that much right now. You know? I really don't. I mean, like, there's nothing learned in that care. moment. I feel like the overall story is something I very much would care about if presented in the right medium. And this just is not it. No, it it it's not. And again, it's it's largely because there's nothing to give you any reason to care. There's no... There was no stakes other than we have to find out who did this because it's our job and it's the Cold War and the Russians suck, which are fine. But it's like, if I don't, you know, I just, I just, I just don't give a shit. I don't know what else to say. (laughs) I just don't give a shit. Um, Do you have anything else before we move on to ratings and reviews? Nope. All right. Well, this was your movie, so you start. Uh. Fantastic book, fantastic limited series, fantastic movie series. Not a very good singular one-off movie. Um, excellent technical film. Cinematography was great. Acting was fun. Um, the, the technical aspects all worked out extremely well. 
it was really just the writing that really just suffered immensely and just kind of ruined the experience for me. Um, there's a lot I liked, but just overall the the package as it is put together, lack of information uh, exposition just did not make this a movie that you could follow. And so I think I'm going to give it a, a three out of five, a three and a half, maybe. No, no, I'll give it a three. Fair. Um, it's tough because I, I agree filmmaking. This is, this is well made. This is well acted. Um, this would be better in a different format. Um, all that shit. I'm trying to think, about whether or not I would recommend this movie. Because, again, that's usually where I try to go with these, like, mid-range scores, is whether or not I would recommend it for someone else to watch. And, no, I I really wouldn't. Um, I don't want to go so low as a two, because I don't think it deserves that. Um, I guess I'll say two and a half, just straight down the middle. Because on on how it is organized on its face, or at least how it's presented, I think that's a fucking one. Um, but in terms of the acting, the cinematography, the, the filmmaking uh, that you really get from this, it's that all, all the secondary things are perfect. It really is just this fucking plot and how they chose to express it to the viewers. Um, so I'll, I'm going to go straight down the middle with it. I'm going to go two and a half. I get it. All right, shall we move on to next week's picks? Yes. All right, do you want to start or do you want me to? You go ahead. All right. Unless so, you can. Uh, my girlfriend and I have been rewatching right, all right, of Shameless. Right. Um, this is actually my first time watching Shameless. Uh, it's it's a rewatch for her. And she doesn't know William H. Macy from anything else other than Shameless. And I only know William H. Macy from his Oscar-nominated performance in Fargo. Um, so I'm going to pick Fargo because it's going to be a great reason for me to rewatch that movie and um, my girlfriend will get a chance to see William H. Macy be a different kind of scumbag. Uh, okay. What? I watched this on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Which well, is fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am going with one that I've wanted to see for a while now. Uh, two truly uh generational actors um about probably the only true religion um i don't know if you are familiar with this but the master i'm pretty sure it's about scientology but whatever it's philip seymour hoffman it's joaquin phoenix it has some beautiful cinematography um oh my god jesse Plemons is in this too all right well yep. now i'm super happy we're watching this and directed by, by Paul T. Anderson. Yeah. All right. Cool. I have very mixed opinions on Paul Thomas Anderson, but we'll get there. All right. That's fair. Um, I was also wondering, there's been a lot of hubbub around um, film circles about uh, the new Wonder Woman film that got released on HBO Max on Christmas Day. Have you <laughs> seen it? No. Do you have I'll any interest? Seen the first. You do not need to have seen the first to understand this movie, my friend. I'll tell you that. So I really wanted to see it because of all of the promotional material, basically making it look like a almost like a Technicolor 80s, just super visually appealing Wonder Woman movie. And then the first things I've heard back were like, this could take place in any year ever. There is nothing at any point indicating it's from the 80s and it's like oh that's kind of that was the whole thing for me so i, don't I, I would i would disagree with that point because the uh, doesn't matter um if you're interested since you already watched fargo pretty recently if you'd like i have so i i, I would love to to tap into the um the the uh, pulse of the moment and talk about that film next week if you have any inclination to do so. Um, Your call. It's up to you. Your call. No, I've, I've, Your I've call. already seen it, so up to you. Well, I've already seen Fargo, so it really doesn't matter. It's your movie choice. I will well, leave it up to you. I meant in addition to. Oh, have a third film. Yes. No. 
All right, fair enough. <laughs> That's too much. Maybe we'll save it for the week afterwards then. Um, yeah, it could. All right, well then, that's it. So we're gonna, our, our picks for next week are the... Um, oh, shit, what year did Fargo even come out? I always say the years. I have no fucking clue. 2003. 1996 film Fuck. Fargo and the uh, 2012 film The Master. Um, so check those out before we record next week. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Big Screen Juice. And if you want to hit us up via email... Do so at juicingthebigscreen at gmail.com. And uh, until next Tuesday, y'all have a good one. See you in the new year. Bye.